0: Psalm 23, which is obviously the text that we are going to be in here today. We've been rolling through the Gospel of John the last four or five months, or four or five months, but we said we're in, in the month of July, we're going to take a break for five weeks and do a little series called the Summer Psalms. Summer in the Psalms. You know, and Psalms is a great summer series because we have a lot of reflection about what it means to be in relationship with God, what it means to, to rest in Him. The summer is a, is, a, is a great time that we can kind of back up from our busy schedules and our regular routines, reflect on our relationship with God. We thought the Psalms would be a wonderful thing for us to do these five weeks, and we'll jump back into John beginning in August. Now, I must warn you, we are doing a risky thing here this morning, because if you were here with us last week, you know we preached on the most popular text in all of the New Testament, which is... John 3.16, and now we are tackling the most popular text in all of the Old Testament, Psalm 23. Can God still speak to us through this well-worn psalm? I think he can. I know He can. Let's read this together and let's pray God's help. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, this is such a well-worn psalm. It is so familiar. It is um, in some ways so commonplace. We see it on on Bible memory note cards and our Bible studies. We We see it on figurines. We see it everywhere. And so our hearts can sometimes lose touch with just what I think is one of the most amazing passages of Scripture that you have given us. So, Lord, give us fresh eyes. Give us fresh ears. Give us open hearts. Help us to reset our souls this month of July as we journey through these... uh, Five strategic Psalms we've picked out, and we just really pray, Lord, that you would speak to us in a unique and powerful way this morning through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, if you were to do a man on the street interview, and you were to go up to people and ask them to complete the following sentence, and you, and you were to say, What do you think of when you think of God? Okay, or God is blank. How do you think people would respond? You know, the secular might say something like, well, I think God doesn't exist, or God's really irrelevant, or, or, or maybe even God is dead, I don't believe in God. Now, you might run across, we're in the Bible Belt, some spiritually-minded folk, and you might get some good answers, like God is above us, or God is everywhere, or, or everyone's favorite moniker, God is Love. But what you would probably find is that few, if any, would describe God the way David does in this psalm. He calls God a shepherd. Now there are many, many analogies, metaphors, and pictures in the Bible for God. We think about God as king and God as judge, God as prophet, God as as priest, and on and on and on. In the book of John that we've been studying, we see a number of those same kind of metaphors. But here, David, interestingly enough, says that God is a shepherd. And in picking out this picture for God, this metaphor for God, David has landed on what is quite possibly the most comprehensive of all the titles and names of pictures of God in all of the Bible, which might surprise us. Guys, this this shepherd imagery is really proliferated all over the Old and New Testament. Just take a journey through the Old Testament prophets, whether it's Ezekiel or Jeremiah or Zechariah, and time after time, God is our shepherd. He leads us. He goes before us. He takes care of us. We are his sheep. In fact, one of the most common titles for Old Testament leaders were what? Shepherds. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. And it's the same in the New Testament. We see Peter talking about that great shepherd of the sheep, the chief shepherd, and how God's elders are our are, 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 are shepherd, are shepherd's little s, who are called to, to care for his people. When we get to John chapter 10, when I turn 60, or whenever that comes, John chapter 10, we're going to hear Jesus say, I am the what? the good shepherd. And one thing that this shepherd metaphor gets at that I think is unique above all the other metaphors of God in the scriptures is simply this. The shepherd is a highly personal vocation. See, as you, as you heard from, from our friends up here, shepherd is quite the job, isn't it? shepherd has to lead, a shepherd has to protect, a shepherd has to care, a shepherd has to, I just hear the lambs in the background and it's awesome, okay? I heard them during the Nisers as well and I had to stifle my laughter, but the the shepherd fights, the shepherd sacrifices. Guys, but fundamentally, what does the shepherd have to do? He has to get his hands dirty. Shepherd has to get personal, has to get involved, has to get close. He has to get his hand on the ground. See, a shepherd, to be any kind of shepherd, is not abstract, obtuse, or distant. To be a shepherd means, by definition, being intimately involved on the most personal of levels, which is what makes Dave, what David says here all the more amazing. Now, I want you to look at verse 1 and something that may, you may just kind of gloss over. When it says the Lord. Okay, you notice that the Lord in verse 1, maybe in your Bibles, is capitalized. And anytime you see the word Lord in the Old Testament capitalized, you know that the writer is using the most high and holy names for God in all of the Old Testament, Yahweh. And we know that the term Yahweh was how God revealed himself to, to whom? Moses at the burning bush. Because Moses said, hey, hey God, when I go talk to Pharaoh, who do I tell them sent me? Or when I go talk to the people of Israel, who do I tell them sent me? And he says, tell them I am sent you. I am who I am, Yahweh. I'm the covenant God. I'm the all-powerful, omniscient God. And so Moses, get your shoes off. You're standing on holy ground. My name is I am. That's the word that David uses. And understand something, this word, this name of God was so sacred, it was so powerful, it was so holy that the Jews would not even say it. They wouldn't say it. David evokes this title, this same God, Yahweh, the God of the universe, who's eternal, who's ultimate who's holy, who's glorious, David makes an astounding claim for Oaks. He says, that God has come down. He has come close. He is personal. He is a shepherd. And not just any shepherd, David says, what does he say? Mine. My shepherd. You see, Psalm 23, if it is anything, is a sheep's song, It is written from a sheep's perspective. It goes without saying, if you are a sheep or if you are a lamb, you by definition are weak and lost and hopeless and vulnerable. And if you are a sheep, guess what? Guess whom you like and guess whom you love? You love you a shepherd, don't you? You better believe it. But not just any shepherd, right? Not the shepherd that sits under the shade tree and, and drinks the pina colada, the virgin kind, of course, okay? Not that guy who's obtuse to the sheep and lets them roam around and do their own thing. No, 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 no. See, David knows his shepherd, the God of the universe, Yahweh. And Then he makes an astounding claim in verse 1. He says, I shall not want. In other words, I have everything I need if all I have is God, I have everything that I need. I am content. Now, if you're at all familiar with the story of David, you think back to yourself and you probably remember David seemed to be a guy who was in need quite often, wasn't he? David was on the run. David was hiding out in caves. Saul was trying to kill him. David sneaking around trying to find water and food. He was in great physical need oftentimes. Because we know that that David was in great spiritual need. We know he committed adultery, that he committed murder. He he had a massive deficit in his life. He had plenty of needs. We know that he was turned upon by his own son, Absalom. Betrayed, traitors, people rising up against him. When you read the Psalms, when you read the Old Testament, David was nothing if he was not a needy, needy guy. But here he is in Psalm 23, and he says, and he's well qualified to say it, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And this is just a a great reminder for us, for whatever we have rolled in here bearing today or under today, or struggling with today, David reminds us, if we have God, if we have Christ, Christian, you lack nothing. You lack nothing. There's not a missing piece out there. See, a lot of times as believers, if only X, if only my child would like get it together... If only I could get a new job, if if only God would heal me from this particular disease, if only I could resolve this conflict, if only we weren't living where we're living, or we had different in-law relationships, or some of you, to be quite honest, if if I was only married to somebody different, there's a missing piece. David says, no, 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 no. God is that piece. He is that piece. But for that contentedness, and which is fundamentally David's stance, in the midst of everything going on around him, David says, "I am content." But in order for us to be content, we have to remember, we have to rehearse. We have to, to re- remind ourselves anew of the promises of God and what He does for us as our shepherd and we as His sheep, as His people. We could camp out a long time on Psalm 23, and there's many, many, many things that we could say, but I want to highlight quickly three such promises that we can find in this text, which I hope will encourage your heart, will remind you this morning, if you have anything beyond Christ, it is a blessing and grace of God. But ultimately, at the end of the day, the day till you go to be with the Lord on your deathbed, He is all we need. Three, three things, three promises. Number one, the shepherd leads. The shepherd leads, verses two and three. When was the last time, do you know those feelings that you get and Lewis, C.S. Lewis always talked about how this was sort of a, a glimpse of eternity, that you were utterly, completely satisfied. Do you know what I mean by that? Like, like, independent of anything else going on in your life your soul was totally at rest you were totally at peace there was quiet there was no worries there was not a care in the world marriage is great and children are great or the job is great when you kind of said to yourself it doesn't get any better than this okay let's be honest those times are few and far between aren't they maybe you capture it on a honeymoon okay parents you're a long way from there right now long way okay Maybe you're at the Magic Kingdom, and you get that little feeling like, ooh, this is, this, is, this is as good as it gets, or this is pretty good, or a family meal, or, or let's be honest, men, after a game, FSU game, it's like, whoa, this, this is it. I, my soul is right just for right now. But let's be honest, those times are pretty rare, aren't they? Because there's life, there's hustle and bustle and craziness and stress, and anxiety, and pain, and in this way, we are all like sheep, because as, as, if you study sheep, you know there's always something bugging a sheep, do you know that, okay, even though sheep could not just be stand to be content, and to be petted, what did they do, okay, just like that, okay, sheep have to deal with flies, and disease, and other animals, jackrabbits can freak out a pack of sheep like nobody's business, okay? Easily spooked predators. But you know, one of the things that can, and, and, and Ferg mentioned this just a second ago, one of the worst things that can happen to you if you are a sheep is that you are what is called cast, okay? And if you're a cast sheep, what it basically means is that you're going, to, going around doing your sheep business, doing your thing, Okay. And you sort of plop down and kind of take a rest. But you kind of plop down in a crevice. And what happens is the sheep struggles to, to get up. The weight of gravity, okay, the, the sheep is not a sleek animal. Did you notice this? Okay, the sheep is quite heavy, has a low center of gravity. And as the sheep struggles to get up, it will pop over onto its back. And it's let, all fours will be in the air, kind of like a cockroach, right? And they're kind of backing around and, they're, and their legs are pointing up. And this is at the moment when sheep are quite possibly at their most vulnerable. Because oftentimes sheep do this when they've wandered off, or they're in the middle of the woods, or they've fallen behind. And they're vulnerable to all sorts of things. Animals, prey, predator, heat. This can be bad for them in their digestive system. I can't explain it all because I don't understand it all, but their digestive systems, when they're like this, do really crazy things and they can die pretty quickly. And it's of paramount importance for the shepherd to find them. So what? He can set them back aright. Now look at verse 3. This phrase, he restores my soul, I think This is what David is talking about. See, that can be translated from the Hebrew, he restores my life. See, and and scholars think probably what David is describing here, he's describing the process of getting a cast sheep back on its feet. See, the shepherd has to seek after, find, turn, flip them over, put them back and direct them on the right path back to the flock. And when it says in verse 2 that he makes them lie down in green pastures and leads them beside still waters, I think what David is giving us is a picture of total peace. The soul is at total rest. Because sheep will not lie down unless they feel totally safe. Now understand something. There doesn't mean that there's not dangers all around. It doesn't mean that there is not still threat of predator and still threat of of stresses and diseases and hunger. They are. Yet because the sheep knows the shepherd, now listen to this, because that sheep knows the shepherd, the sheep entrusts itself to the shepherd and his leadership. Because that sheep knows this man will do what is right for me. This man will do what is best. I will be led by him. He has not abandoned me. I can trust him. Let me ask you a question for Oaks. Where are you cast this morning or this season? Where do you feel like you're sort of like that sheep on its back, four legs in the air flailing around powerless despairing you've wandered off you fell down a hole you feel like you're miles away and you are wondering pastor paul is is god still with me <laughs> has he abandoned me is he in fact still leading me cuz i met with someone recently who has been cast for a long time. Maybe some of you can relate with this. And as we talked, she began to unpack a number of very tragic, tragic mistakes that she had made along the way. And she would talk about her 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 marriage, or shall I say marriages, and her parenting and her kids and, and, and the fact that in, in a lot of ways, she had been a really, really lost sheep for a long time. And as we sat there, it just sort of dawned on me, you know, there's no human reason why this woman's soul should not have been devoured by now. She has been cast for so long. Yet, here we are today, and I, and I told her this, God's leading is unmistakable. That, that God has never abandoned her. That God, in fact, has set her feet aright. It doesn't mean there's not consequences and, and choices. That's, that's not what I mean. What I mean is that God the shepherd has continued to pursue her. God the shepherd, even when this lady did not desire his leadership, he desired for her to be his sheep and, she, and he pursued And God had begun to bring church family and friends and grace upon grace into her life. And she could say, with David, the Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. He continues to lead me. If you're cast this morning like her, and you're a child of God, you've trusted in Jesus Christ for your salvation, God is still leading you. So look to him. Second thing the, sh- the shepherd does, the shepherd for text. Look at verse 4. See, when he talks about walking through the valley, the summer season for the sheep and the sheep and the sheep herder signaled that it was time to move to high ground. See, the, the goal was to, to spend the summer at a at a high point on the hills or in the mountains, because that's where safety was. That's where the field of fire was clear. That's where there were clear grazing fields and paths. But to get there, they had to go through the valley. Now, the valley, in so many ways, is a wonderful place, right? Because the valley is where what? The water flows. The valley is where the shade is. The valley is where the paths are smooth. But the valley is also the place of danger. Their predators hide. It's ripe for an ambush. You start to chase after a sheep in the valley. The sheep has nowhere to go. The sheep are fairly clueless. But here's the thing. Those sheep, they can be surrounded by a thousand wolves, but you know what? They have no idea that they are in constant mortal danger. They will just sort of mosey along, all the while being protected by the shepherd and having no idea the sort of danger they're being in. So, so if you're a nerd, sci-fi, fantasy um, fan like I am, in The Lord of the Rings... There's a point where, where Gandalf is, is trying to tell Bilbo or Frodo, I can't remember which one, one of the O's, okay, Hobbit, um, that they may not know it, but this little settlement they have of hobbits there in the Shire, which is safe and peaceful in waterfalls and, and adult covenant beverage at night in the bar and just like we're having a great old time. What they don't know is literally just mere miles, mere steps outside the shire, there's devouring beasts waiting to come in. And people like Gandalf and people like Strider are the ones that are sort of standing post to make sure no one comes through to protect a group of little people who clearly could not help themselves. See, that's the image here. That even when we are... Too dumb to perceive the spiritual dangers around us. God is protecting us. Do you realize that that, that Peter, we see this in the, in the ministry of Peter, when Peter makes a, a bold declaration about how he will never abandon Christ, Peter has no idea what, he t- what he's talking about. And what does Jesus say? Peter, Satan has demanded to sift you as, as wheat. See, when David uses these terms, even though I walk, and I'll listen to this clearly, we have to be careful, for, folks, that we don't define God's protection to mean that God's servants are immune to suffering. You and I are not. We know that experientially. We know it theologically. There will be hardship. There will be tough times. There will be suffering. We will be cast down all the way to the day that we die. God's people, God's sheep are not exempt. So that's not what we mean by protection. See, God offers us a different sort of protection that's far more important than physical. It is spiritual. See, God is standing watch if you belong to him over your soul. Even when that woman I told you about Thinks that God is far. God is standing watch over her soul. David uses this term, look back at the text, the shadow of death. And here, this is sort of a phrase that really means the very worst kind of darkness that, that you can imagine. Now, now, what is that for you? When you think about the worst kind of darkness, the worst kind of suffering, what is that? Maybe it's something involving your kids or your marriage, or your family, or your job, or your money, for, for many of us, let's be honest, it could be death itself. And, and, and let's, be, let's be honest, we don't like to talk about death as a culture, do we? We don't like to talk about it in church. Don Carson said that we are a lot more comfortable in church talking about sex than we are talking about death, okay? We can hardly bring ourselves to say it. Go look in the Christian bookstore and go right to the death section. You haven't seen that section? You haven't? Okay. I haven't either. Now, there's a section on marriage. There's a section on prayer. There's a section on relationships. I'm sure there's a section on recreation. But I haven't seen one that's entitled, How to Die Well. But the Puritans wrote about this all the time. See, so oftentimes, we are not well-equipped to walk through the valley of the shadow of death when it's time to pass away, to be with the Lord. And one of the ways that we can prepare is to understand the very nature of death that David is describing here. Understand something. David does not talk about death in and of itself. He talks about the va- He doesn't say it's the valley of death what does he say? It's the valley of what? The shadow of death. Now listen to what Spurgeon has to say about this. I think this is just brilliant. And I want you to think about this in light of whatever is going on in your life. Even if you've gotten news this week, I'm going to die. By the way, you didn't have to wait to this week to get that news. Guess what? You're going to die. Okay. Unless the Lord takes. We we are all going to die. So, which means that we better be equipped to know what it means to die well. And and this this psalm is so encouraging for us. Listen to what Spurgeon says that David is referring to when it regards referring to this as the shadow of death. Let's get the quote up here. It says, "Death in its substance has been removed; only the shadow remains. Death stands by the side of the highway in which we have to travel." And the light of heaven shining upon him, meaning death, throws a shadow across our path. I've lost my place. I think we moved. Right, there we go. We're lost our path. Let us rejoice in that there is a light beyond. Nobody is afraid of a shadow, for a shadow cannot stop a man's pathway even for a moment. The shadow of a dog cannot bite. The shadow of a sword cannot kill. The shadow of death cannot destroy us. Let us not, therefore, be afraid. Because why is it important for us to know how to prepare spiritually for death? Because, even, because the times we do talk about death, let's be honest, we idealize it, we romanticize it, we, we, we picture this person lying in peace on their deathbed, surrounded by family and friends, and of course they've completed their ridiculous bucket list, right? Please don't say that around me, okay? Don't say that. You have everything you need, but everyone's gathered around. There's no pain. You know, and I, I think back to when, when my mom passed away about a year and a half ago. Our, our family was able to do a lot of those things, we were able to come around her. We were able to be there in her last days. But yet, there was one thing that we could not do for her. We could not go with her. We could not pass over the river. Only God can do that. Only God could protect her to the end. And, Forex family, he's protecting you in the most important way, all the way to see him. He's protecting your soul. Last thing and then we're done. The shepherd cares. We'll go through this quickly. David talks here about preparing a table and oil. some people think that he's switching metaphors, that he's no longer talking about shepherd and sheep. He's talking about priests. I don't think so. Don Carson mentions the fact that he's most likely talking about the preparation process that when, when the shepherd would bring the sheep up to the mountainside, before they would feed, the shepherd would go have to prepare the land for grazing, have to go pick out the poisonous plants. He would have to, he would have to make sure there was nothing there on the mountain that could harm the sheep. Then he would also take this thing, this oil, which, which Carson thinks kind of refers to what he calls sheep dip, and you've got to be really careful how you say that, right? Okay, Which is basically oil that you would use to sort of cover the sheep head to toe. It would deal with tangles and bugs and ticks and fleas. And and the picture here that David is giving us is that the shepherd is inoculating the sheep against physical danger. Part of God's care for you, four oaks, part of God's care for me, is that between now and when we go to meet him, God is doing the most important thing for us, and he is inoculating us against spiritual dangers. See, and and this is a reminder that when is it that you and I are the most vulnerable? See, I don't think it's always in crisis when we're the most vulnerable. See, a lot of times when we're in the valley of the shadow of death, we're on guard Our senses are heightened. We're like a a platoon going through the the jungles in Vietnam looking for the enemy all around. We're, We're finely tuned to what's happening around us. But it's times of ease, isn't it not? It's times of comfort when vulnerability is most likely to happen. We're just grazing. We're just going about our business. We are living... We're we're lackadaisical, mundane, not on our guard. And guys, by the way, this is a parable for summer months, isn't it not? But guess who's writing this, David? And David would know something about this, because what was David doing when he fell into the deepest of sin with Bathsheba and the murder? What was he doing? Nothing. He was just loitering around on the roof of the palace. And he was looking about all here and there. And then he spied a beautiful woman. And he cast his look upon her. And Satan had his hooks into David. See, part of what God is alerting us to here is that even when things are at relative peace, be on your guard. Folks, be on your guard this summer season. And by on your guard, I do not mean don't enjoy life and don't go to places and take your vacation and recreation. But remember, remember, who is prowling around like a roaring lion? Satan. And he wants to eat your lunch. He wants to devour your soul. And part of what God does to us. Let me just say this, if you're struggling with a besetting sin this season, if there's something that's just like got your soul stirred up, here's what I want you to see, that that is part of God's grace to you. That is part of God stirring you up, spurring you on to love and good deeds. It's part of God's pursuit of you See, last verse, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. This does not follow like I have a little kid brother and he's following me everywhere I go and I don't like him. Okay, that's not what the idea is. He's tagging along. No, no, no. What David means is that God's goodness, that God's mercy is pursuing us. It is following us. It is, it is hot. On our heels, filling us with the aroma of Christ. And so, guys, being a sheep is hard. But it's part of God's grace to show that apart from him, you can do nothing. Concluding concluding, concluding thought, we're done. Because when we get to John 10, Jesus makes it clear that he is the good shepherd, that he lays his life down for the sheep. But I want you to think about something. When the the shepherd rescues the sheep from danger, what happens then to the sheep? What happens? Is the sheep any less dependent upon the shepherd then than he was before? No. (laughs) A sheep has to be constantly cared for. A sheep has to be constantly looked after. And what David reminds us is that Jesus, who laid his life down for us, continues to care for us moment by moment, minute by minute, hour by hour, pursuing us, chasing us with his goodness and mercy. And the way that he did it, and this is the most amazing thing of all, Jesus, as our chief shepherd, became the chief sheep for us. He laid down his life. He died. He sacrificed. He became an atonement for sin. The, 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 the carer became the slaughtered so that you and I could have a personal relationship with the chief shepherd of the universe. Do you know this shepherd? Do you know this shepherd? Are you one of his sheep? Guys, that opportunity is always open to us. John says, my sheep hear my voice. If we can talk to any of you about what it means to entrust your life to this shepherd, we'd love to talk to you after the service and pray for you.